Well, this morning we do, we're gathered to celebrate new life. That's why we gather. It's the new life we've been given in Christ. And we celebrate the gospel, the good news, because we're celebrating that Christ came to earth, that he came to earth to suffer and die on a cross for our sins, that he came to earth to bring salvation to all who look to him for the forgiveness of sins. Each Christmas, we we remember and celebrate Jesus' incarnation, that he came to earth becoming a man, becoming one of us to to live a life uh, and and to, to die for our sins. Easter is the culmination of that coming. It is remembering and it is celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ. The resurrection means that Jesus is alive. It's, it's, that is what it means. It remembers he's alive and he's forgiven sins. It means that he raises us to life when we die. It means that he is the one who has reconciled us to God the Father. And so that's why we're here today. That's why we gather each Sunday to, to recount the wonderful story of the resurrection. Now, everybody loves a good story, especially true ones. And most of us have probably heard the expression, truth is stranger than fiction, which is why true stories are so intriguing. And they often cause us to ask, really? Really? In 2014... A group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Elja Canyon, only to find her among the search party. The group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus and stopped near Volcanic Canyon in Southern Highlands Saturday afternoon, reports the Icelandic, a news organization. One of the women on the bus left to change her clothes and freshen up. When she came back, her busmates didn't recognize her. Soon there was word of a missing passenger. The woman didn't recognize the description of herself either and joined in the search. About 50 people searched the terrain by vehicles and on foot, and the Coast Guard was readying to send a helicopter until they discovered she was among the group. That is a a story. That's where truth is just stranger than fiction. I'm part of a search party, and I'm looking for me. (laughs) The Easter story is definitely one where truth can seem stranger than fiction because it's a story not about bunnies and eggs and chocolate, but about a man who rose from the dead. Actually, what what is strange about Easter today is that in many people's minds, it's about rabbits and eggs and chocolate. And I'm fine with the chocolate part, but not the eggs and bunnies. It's anything but about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is not what Easter is about. Easter is about the resurrection. Easter is about death and life, not bunnies and eggs. And the Easter story starts, as we were here Friday night, it starts on Good Friday, the day Jesus was crucified and put to death on a Roman cross. That's when it starts. And in the New Testament... In the book of 1 Corinthians, there's this Corinthian church that after many years, this is about 20 years after the death of Christ, this Corinthian church is, some in the church are disputing the resurrection. They're disputing that Christ bodily rose from the dead. And so Paul is making a defense of the resurrection to this church that he helped found. 
So let me read to you from 1 Corinthians the opening part of Paul's defense for the resurrection. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1, and it should be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on a third day in accordance with the scriptures, and, and that he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This church believed the gospel, and they followed after Christ, but this problem arises in the church. Now, it's a time where in the ancient world, everyone believed that there was some kind of life after death. But... Most did not believe in a bodily resurrection. And some in the church here are influenced by that philosophy. That, that yeah, there is life after death, but they don't believe in a bodily resurrection. In fact, in, in verse 12 of this, uh, Paul writes, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? And that is, that is what is happening. So Paul writes them, informing them, letting them know that if they actually believe that Jesus did not rise from the dead or physically, bodily rise from the dead, they have no hope. They have no hope. They have no hope of eternal life and all that they have believed. All that they've believed about Christ. All that they they listened to with the gospel. All that they have been doing in this church is meaningless. But Paul, Paul is unyielding about the truth of the resurrection, and he confronts their false belief by reminding them of the truth of the gospel, by reminding them of the facts of the resurrection, the death of Christ for the salvation of sinners. He assures them that the resurrection is true. He assures them that the resurrection is real by recounting the facts. First, that a man really died, And then that a man really rose from the dead. So Paul begins his defense of the resurrection by first talking about death. And that's the first point, the reality of death. Paul begins talking about death in the gospel. To understand the resurrection, he reminds them of the death they face because of their sin. Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. It is that gospel that Christ died for our sins that Paul is reminding them of. And he's reminding them of what the resurrection needs to be, to mean something. Someone has to die. And so Paul reminds them of the reality of death, not just Christ's death, but of their own death. Listen, in Genesis 1, death came into the world. 
That's what happened in Genesis 1. When God created the heavens and, and the earth, he surveyed all that he had done and he said, oh, it is good. And then in Genesis 2, he creates Adam and he places him in the Garden of Eden. And then, which is a place that is pure and it's peaceable and it's tranquil and it is filled with the presence and glory of God. And then he creates Eve. And he looks at Adam and Eve and he says, this is very good. And together, Adam and Eve enjoy this perfect, this unhindered, untainted sanctuary where God dwells, where they have unhindered fellowship or relationship with God. And being created in the image of God, Adam and Eve now have an identity. They find their identity living as servants and subjects as this, of their gracious and loving king. But Satan comes along and he deceives Adam and Eve with a promise of pleasure. He promises them pleasure and having a whole new identity. Rather than serving God, oh, Adam and Eve, you can become like God. And it's at that tragic moment that they reject God's word not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they eat from that tree. And they're forever, at that moment, they are forever ruined. And they now, now they've traded their, their identity to an identity as sinners. Still, having been created in God's image, it is a grossly distorted image because it's been distorted by sin. And the most devastating consequence of their sin at this moment is the curse of death they will now face as they're expelled from the garden. See, sin has ruined everything. God said that if, the, if they eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, if they eat from that tree, if they disobey God's word, in that moment, he says, you will surely die. Now, they did not die physically. They died spiritually. They died. They, they died to life. They died to purity. They died to truth. They believed a lie, and they rejected God. They died at that moment. And that's, that's the problem for all humanity now. And now this new reality exists. Sin, sin has brought death into the world. Death enters the world, and death is ugly, and it is painful, and it is horrible, and it is the consequence and payment for sin against by rebellion against God. I was listening to a song yesterday and, and this morning. It's called the Passover song. And there's one chilling line in that song. It says this, there's a poison in our veins. Sin. There's a poison in our veins and it leads to a death we cannot escape. And now because of death, sin now, because of sin, death is unavoidable. It's inevitable. But understand this. It is not natural. It is inevitable. And it is unavoidable. But it is not natural. We were never meant to die. But all that changed because of sin. 
The frightening reality of death is that it has a 100% success rate. No matter how hard we try to delay it or fight it by searching for the fountain of youth in medicine or searching for the fountain of youth in exercise or searching for the fountain of youth in essential oils or organic food, the curse of death always wins out. And even more chilling than the reality of death is the process of death. It is a terrifying, it is an agonizing, and it is a painful experience. There's nothing pretty about dying. Nothing pretty. Yes, someone dies and we fix them up to make them look like they're almost alive. But that's not what death really looks like. It's something I've experienced myself in the past four months as one of our own, Harriet, passed away. She died, and death was, was not pretty. And then my, my mother-in-law, my wife's mom, passed away just a month ago, and death is not pretty. As we were in the hospital, as she died, death was ugly. And death was meant to be ugly. But God. The reality of death is it is among us and it is a part of us and it is not going away. But God is a redeeming God who never, never lets his promises go unfulfilled. And he promised again and again beginning in the Old Testament, that he would send a Savior to rescue humanity from their sins and particularly from the curse of death. And that is where we see in the New Testament rings of the gospel. And that's why Paul starts with the gospel. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, that gospel which addresses your death, that death, the death you are spiritually dead. Yes, you are physically alive, but you will physically die. That's a guarantee. But you are spiritually dead. And you need to be brought back to life. That is the glorious solution of the gospel. And this is why Paul talks about the gospel before he defends the resurrection. Because it's all about death and life. And Paul reminds them, he says, listen... Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he goes on to say, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So in other words, Paul is talking about, I've received the gospel. And here's what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It's been foretold. Christ will die. Paul reminds them Christ has died. Jesus had no sins of his own to die for. So he took on our sins. And the wages of sin is death. And by death, by his death, Jesus paid the price of our wages. This is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the promise of God fulfilled in Christ. And yes, Jesus died, but he did it to save us from the curse of death. And so Paul makes the case, listen, if you want to celebrate the resurrection, if you want to find glory in the resurrection, if you want to have to look, it has to die first. And that's the reality of death. And and if you, if you have any hope of a resurrection, of being raised from the dead, not just spiritually, but spiritually first, but physically as well, as Paul later goes on in this chapter, 
He talks about being raised with not a, a perishable body, which we have now, but an imperishable one that lives on in eternity. If you want to see that, the first thing you must understand is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins. But then go, Paul goes on to, to prove that Christ died to these Corinthians. He has to prove to them. He defends the resurrection by, by proving that he actually died because they didn't believe that. They didn't believe he physically actually died. Some say they had, it's called the swoon theory. He swooned. But he was just like out. No, no, no. He actually died. A teacher was testing the children in her Sunday school class to see if they understood the concept of getting into heaven. She asked them, if I sold my house and car, had a big garage sale and gave all my money to the poor, would that get me into heaven? No, the children answered. If I cleaned the church building every day and mowed the yard and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? No, they again answered. Now smiling because they were getting it, she asked, well, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and helped all the people in my neighborhood, would that get me into heaven? Once more they answered, no. And now bursting with pride, she asked them, well then, how can I get into heaven? And a five-year-old boy shouts out, you gotta be dead. Exactly. That's Paul's argument about the resurrection. You gotta be dead. You can't rise from the dead unless you actually die. And die, Jesus did. And Paul is making that case. Christ died. Now, I'm a child of the 60s. Growing up in the 60s, I was a big fan of the original Star Trek series, it ran three years, only three years, but in every episode, if you ever watched the old Star Trek series, in every episode, somebody dies. A crew member dies. And you know which crew member is going to die because at the beginning of every, every scene, the, the opening of the, of the show, there's a crew member in red. And he's the one, and you know, oh, he's the one who's going to die. Just look for the guy in the red shirt. But what also happened in every episode is Dr. McCoy, who's the, the, the ship's surgeon, would tell the captain that this crew member was dead. But it, every show you had to come up with a different way of saying it. So if you just go through all the Star Treks, you would see, he's dead, Jim. Jim, he's dead. He's gone, Jim. Captain, he's dead. On and on and on. Paul makes it clear. He's dead. He's dead. Yeah. Chris, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead, Raul. Yeah, he's dead. He is dead. This is crucial to the gospel and to the resurrection. Only someone who is dead can rise from the grave. And then, and then Paul goes on to prove even more he was dead because he goes on to say in, in verse 4, he goes, that he was buried. What do we know about burying people? Typically, they're dead. Jesus' death was no mere illusion. Luke, in his gospel, states that Jesus breathed his last. Dead people don't breathe, at least not in my world. His body was treated like any other corpse by the Roman officials and by his friends who were grieving his loss. He was buried in a tomb. He was prepared with funeral spices because he was physically, literally dead. 
It doesn't take an advanced degree to see how sin tragically destroys lives, every life. Every person is hopelessly dead in their sin and in themselves they have no power to come to Christ and dying physically is now inevitable to all of us because death entered the world in the garden. Spiritual death and eventually physical death. And spiritual death Separation from God because of our sins is inevitable unless we look to Christ for our salvation. Because Christ rose from the dead and because he died for our sins, he conquered death. He conquered death and we find new life in him. And that is the third point Not just the reality of death and the proof of death, but the resurrection. Paul defends the resurrection by saying this. Listen, the resurrection brings about the death of death. John Owen, centuries ago, wrote a very powerful book called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. And that is what is happening here. It is the death of death. The resurrection means something more than just um, the miracle of someone coming back to life. Paul, in this chapter later, says that the sting of death is sin, that, that death has a sting. Our sin has ruined us and has cursed us with the ultimate pain of death. And rising from the dead proves that death has been overcome. Death has been defeated. Now, listen, death is a judgment. And when Jesus died, if he didn't rise from the dead, everyone would still be in their sins because death would still be owed to them as the penalty for their sins. Death would still have authority over every life. And that is why Jesus' resurrection from the dead, it essentially tells every believer, every Christian, that the payment for their sins has been made, their debt has been paid, and they can now overcome sin because sin no longer has power and authority over them. That's what the resurrection tells you. That's what we celebrate every Sunday, that we're no longer slaves. We're no longer entrapped by our sin. We're no longer in chains. We're no longer headed down a road where the ultimate end of our lives is an eternal torment and an eternal death because of our sin, because we chose to pay for our sins rather than Christ and believing in that and trusting in that. And the resurrection tells us, no, 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 no. No, something happened, and this is what happened. He died for your sins, and he rose again, and he proved that death has no hold on him, and death no longer has a hold on you when you come to believe in him. That is what we celebrate, not just today, brothers and sisters, but every day, every Sunday we gather together again. We, we, We proclaim this gospel. We proclaim this good news. You don't have to remain dead. You can rise again. Yeah, listen, this body, this this really, what used to be a much better body, this body is going to die. It, It does. It has a shelf life. There's a label stamped on it. Now, God has that label, and there's a date of expiration. And so do you. 
And as I said earlier, all the exercise in the world, all the, all the organic food you eat, all the avoidance of chocolate is not going to keep you alive past your expiration date. And you will die. But if you've come to faith in Christ, if you believe in Christ, when you die, God promises, as we read later in, in 1 Corinthians 15, an imperishable body. You will be raised to life. You will never die again. But if you do not believe, and you will die in your sins, and you will experience an eternal separation and torment from God because you chose to pay for the penalty of your own sins rather than having Christ do it on your behalf. You've rejected the gospel. You've rejected the good news. Now, physical death is not yet defeated. Paul says in this chapter, he says in, in verse 26, he says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In other words, physical death is not yet destroyed. But it will be. It will be. Paul goes on. Let, let, let me tell you how we know this resurrection is true. He says that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture and, and let me tell you how we know he was raised and he appeared to Cephas and then he appeared to the 12 and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time and then he appeared to James and then he appeared to all the apostles and then he appeared to me and he is still appearing today. Now, he's not appearing physically, but he is appearing in his church. He is appearing in his word. He is appearing in his people who share his word. He is appearing. And maybe you're not a Christian. But you know he's appeared to you. You've heard his words and you've seen his handiwork. How will you respond? Will you choose life or will you choose death? The good news is, is that if you come to Christ, he will save you from sin and death. Spiritual death died at the resurrection. Physical death will finally die when Jesus returns. And that last enemy will be put to death. But until that time, we go on. We go on celebrating the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. That is what we do. Now, for those of us who are Christians, the resurrection is more than just a one-day celebration. We, we live in the power of the risen Christ through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We've been raised to life and, and that we might live for Christ every day. We're resurrection people. God has promised us so much in Christ, eternal life, that we're children of God. We have hope for a future. We have resurrection bodies that will never perish. We'll have face-to-face -face fellowship with God for all eternity. He has given us an inheritance that is so enriching and so amazing. All because Christ came, Christ died, and Christ rose. And Paul, Paul 
challenges these Corinthian Christians and he challenges us, all who are Christians, all who believe in Christ. He challenges us on Christ's resurrection with these final words in, in chapter 15. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Because of the resurrection, be steadfast. Because of the resurrection, be immovable. Because of the resurrection, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That is what we live for. Because of the resurrection, we can live for the glory of God. The one who created us, the one whose image we bear, the one who has graciously, graciously sacrificed his own son to die for our sins, to pay our debts. To reconcile us back to God. That we might function, live, experience, appreciate being his children once again. When we leave here today, we'll have Easter dinners and do things. The resurrection can begin to fade from our memory a little bit. And this Easter comes again next year, it, 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 it gears up and you see it in the stores, you see it in the bunnies and you see it in the chocolate and you remember and there's the Ten Commandments is on TV again like it was last night. And there's this, and you know, you just see it all. But let's not forget the resurrection tomorrow. Let's remember it every day. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for sending your own son as a sacrifice on our behalf because you so love the world. You gave him to us. And Lord, thank you that you proved your love and your power by rising from the dead through your son, Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, may you be glorified in our lives as we remember and we reflect and we live in the good of the resurrection every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.